Welcome to the Teach SEL podcast, where we inform teachers to transform students. Listen as we talk with educators, researchers, and experts in the field of social and emotional learning for our first ever series on SEL. Now, here's your host, Jenna Niemeyer. Welcome back to the Teach SEL podcast. Long time no see. Actually, over a year and a half since I have last recorded an episode. And in that last year and a half, a lot of things have changed for me. I started my first year of teaching in a pandemic. I finished student teaching in a pandemic. You know, I never thought when I was first making the SEL podcast in December of 2019 that in May of 2021, this is where I would be sitting. But I'm grateful that it is. I really am because I've learned a lot. In fact, I've learned five very important things about myself and about teaching and about education at its core. And over this year, I've really grown and expanded, and a lot of my views have been enhanced or have even slightly changed. And I started thinking, you know, when I was a freshman, sophomore, junior, senior in college, what would I have wanted to tell myself? What would I wish that I had known then to help me now? And of course, so much of this year has been unpredictable. But there are five inherent truths that I now hold to be self-evident that I want to come on here and share for any new teachers or future teachers or even teachers that have been in in the game for a while. Um, Maybe you can find some, some truth in these as well. But that's my whole goal today is to share five really important reflections of this Uh, very grateful, very tired, and very honest first-year teacher. My first piece of advice or my first reflection is that even when it's wrong, it's still so right. And when I say this, I mean that even when it feels wrong, even when teaching can feel hard or scary or like you're in the wrong place or like you don't fit in or like you don't mesh with the people around you, it's still so right. And I say this because the environment I was in this year was really difficult for me. I felt like I was the new kid on the block. There were no other new teachers in my grade. There was only one other new, brand new to teaching teacher in my building. And I felt like I was just alone. I didn't feel like I really fit in anywhere. And I I suffered for a really long time mentally because of that. My whole first semester of teaching and even into my second semester, I just felt so unconfident and I felt so bad at my job because no one understood teaching the way that I was doing it. And, you know, I learned a lot from that. I learned what I want in a school environment. I learned what I want in my coworkers. I learned what I want as far as practices and procedures. You know, I really care about writers, writers workshop and readers workshop because I've seen how they impact kids positively. And I've learned that even when nobody else around you cares about things like anti-racist teaching and social emotional learning and developing empathy in students, that doesn't mean that you're wrong and that doesn't mean that you can't do it for your kids. Because at the end of the day, your most important goal is to shut your door and teach your kids. And, you know, I learned that a professor of mine who taught English, she used to teach high school English before she became a professor at college, she used to tell me that. She'd say, it doesn't matter what anybody else around you is doing, just shut your door and teach. And I was like, oh my gosh, I I don't know. Because I was in undergrad and I had no clue. But she was so right. Because it can be hard when you're in an environment where you feel like nobody gets you, where you feel misunderstood. You're the new kid. Nobody understands your philosophy. The best advice I've ever gotten, shut your door and teach. Because at the end of the day, at the end of the school year, when you look back, it's not going to matter what other people thought of you. 
It's not going to matter what the teacher next door thought or what the teacher across the hall thought or really even what your principal thought. What mattered the most to me when I was sitting in my classroom by myself on the last teacher work day was how I impacted students, was how I impacted their families, was how I changed my community. Because that's what teaching is. At the core of all of it, you are training kids to become active citizens. And if you're doing the best you can to make that happen for your kids, it should not matter what the 40-year-old veteran teacher next door to you thinks. It should not matter to you maybe if your principal thinks negatively of you because at the end of the day if your kids love you and their families love you that means you're doing things right because those are the kids that are in your room every single day those are the kids that someday are going to say man my insert grade level here teacher changed my life and that's hopefully why the majority of good teachers are teaching is because they hope to change students lives they hope to make a positive impact my second piece of advice would be that you know more than you think you do And when I say this, I mean that it can be hard when you're in an environment where there's a lot of older teachers who have been teaching the same thing for X amount of years. And this is the way they've always done it. This is the way it's always been done. And we've got to keep doing it this way because we don't want to create more work for ourselves. And so it's easy to fall into that trap. And if I'm being completely honest, I did that. It was like my first year and the teachers around me had been teaching that same content for several years. And I thought, I'm new. This is my first year. I don't know anything. I need to do exactly what they've been doing it because they know what works. But that's not reality. You have prepared your whole life for this moment, for that first day of whatever class it is that you teach, you've prepared. If I can speak on my journey, for me, I thought I never wanted to be a teacher. But the truth is teaching is not a career. Teaching is a calling when it is done right. My family is generation after generation after generation of teachers, elementary teachers actually. And I watched my mom teach kindergarten and first grade and third grade and fourth grade and special ed. And I grew up around good teaching. So inherently I absorbed it. And then when it came time for the first day of sixth grade language arts, I stepped in that room and it felt like any other day of my life because I knew how to be a good teacher. You went to college, you trained for this, okay? You know what to do. And honestly, more than anything, one teacher shared this with me. She was phenomenal and a great mentor to me this past year. She said, if anything, we should be learning from you. And here's why. You have brand new knowledge. You know more than anybody in this room about what's current best practices in education because you just walked out of university. Also, you know new technology. And especially in a year of pandemic teaching, we need teachers who know technology. You know everything. You are prepared and you will thrive. And it's so true that I did when I shut my door and when I tried new things and when I taught new ways and when I used best practices. And so it doesn't have to be, I don't know this. It has to be, I'm confident in myself. I've prepared for this. My professors, my former teachers, my family, my community, they're here for me. They've helped me. They've shown me I can do this. And when you change your mindset from I don't know to I'm ready to learn and try new things, magic happens. Not only for you, but also for your students and their families and your school. And that's what we want to see. Moving into number three, I'm going so much faster than I thought, but these last couple, they're big. My third piece of advice is something that my professors used to like pound into our brains in college. But 
it's so true that it matters more than anything else. And it's that connections mean more than content. And when I say that, this is where the SEL component really comes in. Social and emotional learning is everything. It should be the foundation of your teaching because that's where the social and emotional needs of students are taking place, right? Like if we think Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we're talking safety, shelter, right? Those things are important. And just those physical needs being met are, you know, our kids being fed, our kids sleeping enough. Those things are important, but so are the social and emotional aspects. If we can't take care of kids mentally, if we can't take care of kids in a socially safe environment, they will not learn anything in your classroom. So you need to teach kids how to be empathetic, how to have grit and growth mindset, you know, the idea that you don't have it yet, but you can get there. Keep trying. Give kids lots of opportunities to revise and to get feedback from you and to use that to learn and grow. And more than anything else, if you want kids to do something, right, not even content related, just as a good human being, you have to be modeling that as the teacher. At the end of this school year, when I told my students I was leaving, I was going to a new school, they were so devastated. And a lot of them wrote me notes. And over and over, here's what they said. In your room, I felt safe and loved. And it would make me get emotional as I read them because that's what I wanted for kids more than anything. I wanted them to have a place where they felt safe, where they felt like they belonged, where they felt like they were loved and cared about. You know, I love to teach writing and I love to teach reading and I love to talk about those things with kids. But more than anything, I love kids. That's why I do this job because I care about making kids happy and successful. So more than anything else, more than teaching them how to write a thesis statement or a concluding paragraph, I want them to feel cared about, to feel known, to have a place where they feel safe to be themselves and to explore what it means to be themselves. And that's important because kids need to know who they are in order to go out and change the world. Kids need to know how to care about other people to go change the world. Kids need to know how to write to change the world too. But at the core of it, if we can't teach good human beings, teach good social skills, right? What are we doing for kids? What are we doing for them? Because if we want to change our communities, if we want to change our cities, our states, our country, the world, it starts right there in your classroom. And it starts with teaching them how to be good human beings. And that all starts with you being a good human being for them. Have grace. If they need extensions, give them extensions. If they need additional support, find ways to give it to them. If they need an ear to listen as they talk, give it to them. If they need someone to just make them smile and laugh, do it. I can't tell you how many mornings in advisory I would just tell kids a quick funny anecdote of something that had happened to me the day before just to make them smile. I would ask a question of the day every single day that was random. Like for example, one day I asked kids, if you could be a curly fry or a mozzarella stick, which would you choose and why? And at first, at the beginning of the year, when I would ask questions like that, they would like get so uncomfortable and nobody, I don't know, can you come back to me? Right by the end of the year, they were like, I would be a mozzarella stick and here's why I would do that. And I know that sounds crazy, but teaching kids confidence, teaching kids being okay with being silly and being themselves and owning who they are is at the core of my beliefs as an educator because I want kids who are confident because confident kids grow up to be confident adults and confident adults will change this world. And that's my belief and you don't have to agree with it, but that's what I'm about. Know your kids. Let them know you. Don't be shy. 
Don't be afraid to be yourself because that sends them the message that they can't be themselves either. My final piece with this is to get active and involved both inside of your school and out. I, you know, took on, I coached my language arts academic team this year and I thought I have no clue what I'm doing. I'm the most unqualified person to do this, but I did it and I became so, so close with each kid that I had outside of school in that club because I just spent an hour with them, not as my student, right? Just as some kid in my club. And it was so cool to get to interact with them and get to teach them even more about language arts, but get to know them better too in a small environment setting. And I would say the same is true of coaching. I'm not athletic, but from professors I've had and teachers I know who coach, they say the same thing that is true, right? Like you're seeing kids in a different environment and that sheds a new light on who they are. And outside of school too, go to kids events. I mean, with COVID this year, it was hard, but I was still able to make it to some kids tennis matches and baseball games and, um, you know, performances of different types. And I didn't get to go to everything because of restrictions, but the things I did get to go to were so special because I was seeing those kids as something other than Johnny who sits in the front row of my language arts class. I saw Johnny, the baseball player, Johnny, the teammate, Johnny, the leader, right? And then getting to come to school and talk to them about that. Like, hey, your triple last night was awesome. And I love the way that when your pitcher threw that ball and walked that kid to first base, that you went up and slapped him on the back and you encouraged him. Like, you're such a good leader, Johnny. And getting to have those conversations with kids and getting to know them in that environment is huge. And I'll say this too. Every single time I showed up to an event, I had a family there that I got to connect with. Johnny's mom is at the baseball game and I get to talk to Johnny's mom. And I get to tell Johnny's mom how awesome Johnny is being in school and what I see in her kid that I recognize and love about him. And when you get to do that for parents, it means the world to them. I can't tell you how many times at a baseball game they'd say, it feels so good to know that you see that in Johnny because we see that in him at home. But to hear that he's doing that for other kids at school is amazing. Or even just them to say, you know, Johnny's never had a teacher come to a baseball game. That shows me you really care. And you know, you can tell parents you care about their kids, but I have always heard this. Your actions speak louder than your words, right? That's a normal saying, but it's so true of teaching too. You can tell a parent, I care about your kid, or you can show them. And in showing them, the weight of that is so much heavier than any of the words you could ever speak positively about their child. So get active, get involved, and just have connections over your content. Students don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that is Dr. Tony Klein, PhD. Best advice I've ever been given about teaching. And he's been on my podcast. You can go back and listen to that episode. But he is a maverick and I highly recommend that you follow his advice because I have and it's made all the difference to me as a first year teacher. Okay, number four, take care of yourself first. Taking care of yourself is advice that you will get. Self-care is a hot trend right now. But nobody really knows what does that mean? What does it mean to take care of yourself? What I mean by this is, first of all, you can't pour from an empty glass, right? You have however many students, if you teach in an elementary setting, you maybe have anywhere from 30 to 40 kids. If you're teaching in the middle school, you know, in my case, I had over 100. If you're teaching at the high school, you're going to have over 100, right? You cannot take care of those anywhere from 30 to 100 kids if you don't take care of yourself. So find some balance. And by balance, I mean, do not make your work your life. Your work is an important part of who you are. Being a teacher, right, when you're doing any any kind of career, even not even just teaching, but any career where it's a calling, right? It's not just a job, it's a calling. It is inherently who you are. It is not a choice always to be a helper personality. Sometimes it's just who we are. I'm an Enneagram um, type three with a two wing, right? Like 
I am a helper by nature. I am an empath by nature. I want to care and help for others and I cannot turn that off all the time. It's hard for me to. So it's hard to make my job stop at three o'clock when the day is done. But you've got to find activities that make you feel better. So for me, um, I have a friend who started a yoga studio this year and they do a lot of like workshops. So I started going to them. I started going to her yoga flows and to her self-care workshops and her body image workshops, right? And it, it made me feel whole and I'll be completely transparent I didn't do a good job of taking care of myself for like the first six months of the school year and in February I hit such a tough mental place that I broke my anxiety attacks were happening every single day I felt like no matter what I did I couldn't stop feeling depressed I could not take care of myself and so I started going to therapy and in therapy I learned a lot of techniques for you know coping and just calming myself and and finding space and activities that I enjoy and therapy is now something that makes me feel whole again it balances me I also started biking. I Biking has become like my saving grace. I bike every single day after school because it releases tension. I get to be outside in nature. I can listen to music or podcasts or I can just ride and listen to the sounds around me. And it's become a really grounding activity. So whatever that is for you, find things that are not Jenna the teacher, right? I'm Jenna the bicyclist. I'm Jenna the therapy goer. I am Jenna the yoga enthusiast, right? Like I found things that made me something other than just a teacher, but inherently those practices have really helped me. I can do meditations with my kids. I can do 316 breathing with my kids. I can take those skills that I've learned in yoga and therapy and I can use them to help my students. So it's not a complete just for me. Like I can translate those activities into my day. And when I find myself getting stressed, I can say, okay, kids, we're stopping. We're all going to do 316 breathing together. And not only does it help regulate me when I'm feeling stressed, but any kid that's feeling that way, it can help them. And that's a tool they can take with them for the rest of their lives to cope. So that's just good SEL practice too. Like I'm a human. I have emotions. I'm a human. I have a life. And so do my students. Let's find balance. And it's also in taking care of yourself, it's okay to ask for help. Going to therapy and saying, I need help because I am so alone and struggling and depressed and anxious, that was the bravest thing I've ever done. Bravery isn't always trying new things. Bravery is being honest and intentional. Doing hard things, even though they're hard, is bravery. And so it wasn't easy for me to say this is the most anxious I've been since I was 10 years old in the fourth grade. And I get emotional talking about it, but it's okay to talk about it. And this is the most I've ever struggled since I was 10 years old and didn't understand the changes that were happening to me mentally and physically. But that's okay because it's a new experience. It's a new chapter of life and that's how you learn. And it's also okay to fail. It's okay to try new things and not be great at them. Like I said, I'm an Enneagram type three. I'm an achiever. So it's hard for me to fail. But I've also learned that achievers sometimes learn the most from their biggest setbacks. There were things I did this year that absolutely bombed because I was not being true to myself. And from that, I learned that I've got to stop thinking I'm not adequate enough. I've got to stop feeling like I'm failing. I've got to start being authentic. I've got to start being brave and honest. And I was. Sometimes with kids, I'd say, you know what? I'm going to be really honest. I'm having a really hard day. And so I just need a couple minutes here to just realign myself. And I'm going to go do this activity to do that. And anybody who wants to join me in it, feel free. If you're okay, if you're regulated and you're doing your activity, you know, if you're writing your essay, that's great. And more often than not, three-fourths of my class would come back and sit and do the activity with me. And they would overwhelmingly say, wow, I feel so much better having done that. Thanks for showing me that. So, you know, it's okay to fail. 
It's okay to ask for help. It's okay to be authentic and honest and to find balance. But more than anything, just take care of yourself. Take care of yourself so you can take care of other people. Coming in at number five is probably my most important piece of advice. And this is something that I think applies not even just to teaching, but to anything outside of it. It is so important to be the type of leader that you would want to be leading you. And as a teacher, inherently, you are a leader. You are a leader to the kids in your room, to the families that are trusting you with their students, to the community around you that is pouring into your school. You're a leader to the teachers around you, to the principal that you are actually working for, right? Because you can model good leadership and they can take those skills and use them. You're a leader to everybody, whether you know it or not. So let's start with leading your kids. Have clear procedures and expectations and follow through with them. It can be really hard as the young new teacher, especially in my case, teaching, you know, 12-year-olds, 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds. I'm not that much older than them. So it's hard, right, when a kid breaks the rules or when a kid doesn't follow the expectations to have that hard conversation. But the thing is, they are called hard conversations for a reason. They are not easy to have. And they will test you. They will push you. But they are molding you. Those hard conversations are. And hard conversations don't have to be, you're wrong, I'm right. They can be a conversation. Get the student's perspective. Listen, understand, find common ground, and then respond with this is how this makes me feel. This is where I'm coming from. And when you do that, most often you can have a really good dialogue and you can grow deeper in your conversation and your relationship with your student. And reteach your procedures and expectations. Don't just think that because you do it on the first day of school, every kid's going to remember because they are forgetful and they are human beings just like the rest of us and they will need you to repeat it 20 times. And if you think 20 times is enough, go ahead and do it 30 just in case. So reteach and have kids practice them. If you want kids to raise their hand to ask to use the restroom and write their name on the board so you know who's out of the room and when they come back, they erase it and then the next kid can go, have kids practice that. Say, okay, hey, Johnny, I want you to show everybody how do we go to the bathroom? And then have Johnny do it. And then whoever sits behind Johnny. Make every kid do it. It sounds crazy, but I learned that from the first days of school book by Harry Wong. And it works. Procedures and classroom management makes up the core of everything. Good leaders have expectations for the kids that follow them. For the people that follow them. And you practice those expectations and those procedures to help kids learn best. Because if you don't lay the groundwork of what's expected when kids walk into your room, they will never get to a place of deep rigor and content. Second thing is be a good leader for parents. Communicate with them. They want to know what's happening in their kids' education. You share a common goal with every parent or every family member who has a student in your classroom. And that's that they are successful. It is a high stakes thing for them to send their kid to a classroom and to trust somebody else with their kid for eight hours a day, seven hours a day, six hours a day, whatever it might be. You owe them honest and open communication. And when a parent has an issue or has a question, be there for them. I can't tell you how many parents in my advisory class this year at the end of the year reached out to me to say thank you because they said, as a sixth grade teacher, you made this transition so much easier than I thought it was going to be. And here's why I did that. On the first day of school, at the end of that day, I called every single one of my advisory parents, all 21 of them, and I talked to them about their kid. I said, hi, this is Miss Niemeyer and I'm just calling to talk to you about Johnny and I just am calling to tell you he had a great first day of school and I want to know, is there anything I need to know about your child to help him or her be successful this year? And having that 
doing that opened the line of communication because I set a good precedent first. I let them know I love your kid. I care about your kid. They had a great first day and I want to help them be successful. What do I need to know? And parents love that. Families love that because it makes them feel like you have interest in their kid because you should and you do, right, as a teacher. So from the first day, set that precedent. And then when you have to call to share difficult information or to have a hard conversation, they know that you're doing it from a place of love and not from a place of anger because you remembered on that first day of school to call them and tell them how great their kid is. And every time after that, don't just call home when it's bad. Call home when it's good. I had a student who had a really challenging year because he had a lot going on at home. And I called more times for positive things than negative. You know, there was one day where he got 100% on a quiz. I sent mom an email and said, just want to let you know that your student got a 100% on this quiz and is doing so well and I'm so proud of them for working hard and then you know when I had a rough day I'd call and instead of saying your student did this I would say I'm calling to let you know that this is what happened but more than that I want to know how can I help what are things you do at home to help this student what works for them and parents when you approach it from that lens understand you're not the enemy you're the partner you want to do things to make that child successful and because of that they will work with you families are partners Families are not the enemy. Communicate with them and share that you have a common goal of success and you will do what it takes to get there. And that means having conversations both easy, hard, and rewarding. So do it. Finally, as a leader, have an attitude of gratitude. And I say this because it is easy to have a negative outlook, to see everything that's going wrong as the leader of the classroom or as a leader in your school. Instead, be grateful. Be grateful if you're an administrator. Be grateful for your teachers. If you're a teacher, be grateful for your administrators and even for your supports. So for example, thank your secretaries. School secretaries are rock stars. School cafeteria workers are rock stars. School janitors are rock stars, right? Thank them. It is not an overused word. And do things, you know, just to show that you care. For example, at the end of this year, I wrote both of my secretaries a really nice note and just gave them a small a small gift. I gave them each a bag of M&Ms and I just wrote in the note how grateful I was that they took the time to answer my questions. How grateful I was that whenever they called down to my room or I called down to them, they had a positive out outlook. Because positivity is never underrated, especially in a school. If you have a negative school culture where people are not happy to be there, that shows. And it makes teachers feel drained. It makes people who work in your school who aren't teachers feel drained. It makes parents and families feel drained. It makes the kids feel drained. Be grateful for even the small things. As the principals or school leaders, assistant principals, uh, dean of students, athletic director, whatever you might be, be grateful for the things that the people around you are doing to help you. And as the teacher, be grateful for those leaders. If you have good leaders, let them know how grateful you are to have that good leadership. And if you don't have good leaders, that can be hard. You know, it can be hard to be in a school where you don't have good leadership. Be that good leader. As that teacher, go in every day and be a good leader for your students and hope that when your principal or your evaluator comes in to see that, whatever school leader is your evaluator, they'll say, wow, I like the way you do this. And hopefully they emulate it. And if they don't, that's okay, right? But hopefully we are the type of people that can rub off and be a positive influence on others. I know for me, you know, I had teachers around me who didn't see things the way I did, but every single morning I was outside in the hallway and I was greeting every kid who walked into my room by name. And before I knew it, some of the other teachers who used to have their door shut or they stayed in their room, they started doing it too because they noticed that kids walked into my room excited. 
kids walked into my room ready to learn. And part of that was that I knew them as people and I greeted them. I made them feel welcome and necessary to the room being a successful learning environment. So the small things you do rub off on other people, whether you know it or not. I would also say thank your peers. I had a great teacher next to me this year who she changed the way I thought about good curriculum and good instructional practice. And she stayed after school several times just for like a half hour to an hour and would talk to me about curriculum and education and things she had learned and knew. And because of her, I became a really good teacher. And so at the end of the year, I wrote her a huge thank you card and gave her a Starbucks gift card. But even day to day, if she helped me or she gave me a piece of advice, I would thank her. You know, if something went well, I would go talk to her about it. I'm like, thank you so much for sharing this with me because that was so good for them. And thank your students. You know, I had some really awesome kids this year and even more just awesome classes. And I would tell them thank you. When we had a really good day at the end of it, I would sit down and I would get just really serious. And I'd say, hey, guys, there's something I want to share with you. And they'd all get really quiet and they'd sit and they'd look back and I'd say, I just want to thank you for being so awesome. You have been so patient and so graceful. You have been so kind to each other and to me. And that's what it means to be a good leader and to be a good student. And I'm just really grateful for you. So again, that attitude of gratitude, when you do that for your students, when you see them as people, not just as kids who sit in your desks, they appreciate that. They do better from that and they will be a better learner in your classroom for that. So have an attitude of gratitude. That concludes the five things that I want you to know. So just to recap here, even when it's wrong, it's right. You know more than you think you do. Have connections with students over just teaching them content. Take care of yourself as a teacher first and be the leader you'd want to lead you. I'm not saying that these are right. I'm not saying I'm a know-it-all after one year of education, but these are the things I wish I had known then as an undergraduate pre-service teacher that I think would have changed my mind a lot as August of my first year of teaching rolled around and even as February of my first year of teaching rolled around, these are the things that I want my, I'd want myself to know. But more than anything, I want you to know that you're doing a great job, that you're a great teacher, that your students will love you if you are honest and true to yourself. And it is more than okay to love yourself and to be confident in who you are as a teacher. So I'm really proud of you for making it through what was a very difficult year. All teachers and all school leaders and all people that work in schools or in education in general, you rock. And it's been one heck of a year, a memorable year, a learning year. And because of this, we're going to become legendary teachers. So proud of you. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you here in the future. This has been the Teach SEL podcast with your host, Jenna Niemeyer. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time.